Welcome to The Trenches. I'm Sam Mays. Before we get started with the show, I've got some very special people to thank. Lock Supply, Arrows Health, MidFirst Bank, the Oklahoma Ford Dealers, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, FireLakeJobs.com. Remember, drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. And I'm so excited to be working with Arrows Health. They are dedicated to helping the men and women of Oklahoma live a healthier, more fulfilled lives. They provide hormone replacement treatment, peptide, HCH, and sexual health treatment for both men and women. They also provide nutritional, hydration, and weight loss treatment plans for both men and women. With over 30 years of experience, Arrows Health can help you take back control of your health. Check us out at www.arrowshealthok.com. That's www.arrowshealthok.com. Or just drop by and see us. Today, we've got an awesome, very special guest, one of my sellout crowd teammates, Mr. Eli Letterman. How are you, sir? I am. I'm good. I've always wanted to get in the trenches with Sam Mays. I don't think that would go well for me in any context other than this one right here. Yeah, no. Uh, no, it but, would not. But it's cool you get to put your hand in the dirt for the first time. You know, how's it feel <laughs> getting in the three-point stance and, you know, get ready to come off the line of scrimmage? <laughs> I've never in my life given off football, and here I am. Uh, football reporting, football talking, all that. Uh, but, you know, this is our very first time. Feels good. Hand, dirt in the nails isn't great, so we're going to have to work on that. But the, uh, Yeah, look, the I, didn't have dirt my nails. I didn't have dirt in my nails post, like, <laughs> eighth grade you get good enough to start wearing gloves and you know mm. you kind of you got to keep the manicure clean that's for sure <laughs> um, um, thank you so much for joining me you know i i i love your stuff i think you do a great job with sellout crowd i think you've got an awesome personality and i'm happy to be working with you and we have to do this more often you know, i think the more that we all you know get together as teammates i think you get some great content out of some of those things so i'm happy to talk to you tonight and um, I saw that you're a New Yorker. You know, I, my mom is from mm-hmm. White Plains. My dad is from Orange County, New Jersey. So I spent my summers in, in that part of the, the world. They got a lot of family in New York. So I thought that was pretty cool. What if I told you I'm in White Plains right now as we speak? I'm obviously not recording for my home studio. And uh, Are my, you folks really? only, my folks moved here like a couple of years ago. I, I, this is all kind of local for me. I grew up around here, but like no joke, I'm in White Plains, New York right That's now. That's amazing. So I, the sellout crowd offices of White Plains, New York. Very cool. My uh, my grandmother lived there probably until I was in eighth grade. So then she moved wow, to Ohio. I had no idea. Where... How about that? Yeah, small world, man. Very cool. Well, That's the wild. one thing that you will have to enjoy for me while you're there is get a good cold cut sandwich, like something local. You know, fresh bread, great great meats like i that's one thing i, I miss on the east coast right well, yeah. i miss them when i'm in i mean we're you know we, we both live and work in oklahoma we don't it's just not quite the same you're not getting those same delis uh as you no. get out here no i go to jersey mike's and and i just kind of <laughs> close my eyes and try to pretend that it's yeah it's something from from home <laughs> it's a little bit different um but the other thing is i gotta love your tottenham hotspur shirt i oh uh, man yeah, I adopted them probably about seven years ago as my All these connections. Team. Wait, hold on, Sam. We should have been doing this much earlier because between right. an like appreciation for suburban New York and <laughs> delis in suburban New York and Tottenham Hotspur, you're hitting like three of my favorite things. Right, so I would go. admit I'm not a good fan. I probably need to keep up, but those early morning games aren't mm-hmm. uh, aren't hitting not me. Like, I, but I, it's on my bucket list to go and watch one in person. I think that the Premier League is one of the biggest spectacles in, in sports, no question. I think the closest thing we have to it, and I would, per, you know, it's all about perspective, is college football. It's probably why we love it. It probably has a lot of the same, like, the elements that make soccer anywhere in the world amazing. 
so many of them being, you know, regional and family ties or, or um, regional ties, all that is what makes soccer great. You know, if you if you grow up, uh, you know, in, in Liverpool, you are either an Everton or a Liverpool fan. Depends on where you are. College football, much like that. I and mean, we all have our teams across the country. We adopt teams, whatever. But so much of college football is tied up in that regional identity. And I think you, you struggle to find that anywhere but college football, at least in the U.S. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. You know, I had a professor in, in college once tell me that college football was a spectacle, a lot like the Olympics or the World Cup. And he's 100% yep. right, right? It's about the bands and the fans and the cheerleaders and the culture and the food uh, you know, the sights and the sounds and the smells, like every single college town has got something unique about it that makes it great, where people like attend the university or fans of that team will tell stories to their kids and their grandkids, and they become, you know, Oklahoma Sooners or Kansas State Wildcats. Generational. It's generational. There's not Absolutely. What, some of us are lucky enough to have, you know, pro sports teams that were passed down, but you move around, players move around, whatever. There's something different about college football. Um, and again, it's, it's kind of why it, it's funny I landed in college football because you know this New York is not a hotbed for college football, but something about it at a really young age I, I caught on to, and here we are. But it, it it is distinct, I think, from every other fandom we have. No, I, I couldn't agree more with you. I think it's the best sport in the country, and I think when you add, you know, what's happened with the transfer portal and NIL, uh, I know it's it's really irritating some fans, and we'll dive into that a little bit, but. It's really made college football 365 day a year conversation. Like it is the gift that keeps on giving. It's a never ending soap opera. And when you follow it closely, it's, I mean, it's intense, right? It, it is intense. We got national signing day tomorrow, uh, recruiting going on. You know, it's, it's amazing how people have made careers out of covering recruiting. I know that's what you do, you know, for the Oklahoma Sooners to, to me you know, as a, as a former athlete, you know, I used to, I didn't really care about the recruits until they made it through August, right? Like I wasn't even trying to really learn your name as a recruit until you made it through an Oklahoma summer, right? But the, back then we had two and three a days, right? We had no indoor facility. And until you proved to me that you had the ability to cut, make the cut, get through August and, and get with us into the season of September, I mean, we had guys dropping like flies. People don't realize what happens to from an 18-year-old kid packing his stuff up in his car and headed to college, there's that one-month period before, like, as he leaves his family to join his new family where there's a million different things that can happen to that kid, right? From simple things like missing his mom or missing his girlfriend or hating his roommate or not trusting the people that he's working with or a regional disconnect, right? I mean, some of these kids coming from other side of the country, and they just aren't used to Oklahomans. They're not used to, I mean, in some cases, being around as many white folks as there are in on a college campus. Like, I'm being dead serious. A million different things can happen to these kids. But now we invest all this time and all this effort and all this money and all these thoughts and hopes and prayers, you know, for the future of your team and the recruiting. I'm like, man, that boy is a boy. He's, in some cases, 17 years old. He doesn't know up from down or left from right he's getting this dorm and hoping that he can learn how to use the washing machine in some cases like this is we're just talking about kids you know but man it's turned into such big business now how good was your barometer like in turn did you have any big misses of guys you judged off the bat couldn't make it through the first two a day and then proved you wrong and went on to have a 
a heck of a career. Anybody like that? Or were you pretty Man, good? You know, the, the ones that we're going to drop were pretty obvious. <laughs> the you ones that we're, we're going to yeah. make it. Yeah. I'll tell you, there, I'll, there was one miss that I had over the years, and it was Greg Gold uh, running back from, I want to say Greg was from Austin, ended up being a heck of a player for Oklahoma State, contributed for several years. Uh, he had one of the worst uh, experiences that I can remember in a camp, you know, got picked on a little bit. At one point, got thrown into a pool with his phone in his in his pocket, and he lost it. And you know, he had a girlfriend at home, and you know, couldn't. Co- I mean, it was just a, it was a lot. I didn't think Greg was going to push through some of that, but he ended up being a, a badass at Oklahoma State. Does great things now. He's involved with uh, high school football. I want to say he's like making uniforms and helmet decals and all kinds. Super successful guy, but. Um, yeah, he was probably the one guy that I thought, no, this dude's not going to make it through week two, but he, he proved me wrong for sure. When I got to imagine now, like team dynamic, all that is so important. All that time for good and bad, like either you got to settle in or good teams probably use that time to, to get, to get tight, to get close, all that. Yeah. How different is it now when you're, you know, you're going to have guys coming in every semester and guys who are going to spend a semester and then leave. It's got to be a totally different ball game. Yeah, it's it's changed quite a bit. You know, you just it's hard to build relationships. You know, you start talking about if there's a negative to the the transfer portal to me for the kids, it would be just your overall growth and development. You know, from the time that I was a freshman to redshirt freshman, the most important thing that I could work on was my body. Right. So I lost 25 pounds baby fat. I added about 100 pounds to every one of my lifts and then got myself ready to play physically able to compete against the men that were on the line of scrimmage with me at that time. And from year one to year two, year two to year three came the academic side, truly understanding my offense, truly understanding the ability to read defenses and what that brought to the table. Year three was putting those two things together, right? And then year four was seeing the small, the little bitty pieces, right? Walking up to the line of scrimmage and noticing that the three technique has moved about two and a half inches to my he went from my outside eye to head up and in my brain now I'm letting the whole offensive line know something has changed something is different watch out for the game the anticipation of the game so now you go from this unarmed c-130 right this cargo plane as a freshman to a senior where you're just loaded up with all the guns right you've got all the tools your body is ready you understand your offense you understand how to read defenses, and now you're starting to see the little intricacies of the game that make you great, right? It takes time to do those things. So for a guy like Caden Green, for example, who's a hot Mm. topic for Oklahoma, he ends up at Missouri, uh, obviously going home to play with them. There's a bunch of money on the table for NIL, all those things. But, you know, now this kid has got to go back to square two when it comes to the offense. And when you watch them play this year, the most impressive thing about him was his physical capability. But mentally, he made a ton of mistakes on the football field. So now what happens this next year? He's got to come in and learn a new system, new terminology, new teammates. He takes a step back as far as his growth and development. Does he get the bag? Sure. But is he going to be the same type of player at year two at Missouri as he would have been in year two in Oklahoma? The answer is no, right? But these kids don't see that. Their parents aren't seeing that. At the end of the day, NIL is great. Getting a paycheck now is great. And if it's some of the money that we are hearing, good form, because there's a chance he might not get it again. But at the end of the day, the goal is to get to the NFL for the majority of these kids and to be able to grow, stay in the same you know program, stay in the same system, learn all those things that I just mentioned is w- what you need to do to really become a great player. These kids jumping around all over the place, they're just not developing in the way that they should anymore. 
Well, I guess the question is like, is, is that going to burn a guy? Let, let's say Caden Green, we don't have to speak like Uber specifically on him, but like, is he, you know, let's say he goes and gets X amount of dollars, goes and plays at Missouri for two years. He's still built. And I, I know there's a lot of guys who are built like NFL offensive linemen who don't make the pros, but he has all the tools that you would say that dude uh, could probably be an all American can probably go to the pros. I think we probably agree that some, you know, guys jumping around like that, you're going to lose something in development. But if in two years, Caden Green is a first round NFL draft pick, and he also got the bag he made right now. Good for him. We're yep. going to be the ones sitting here and, uh, and, you know, we can still, you know, OU fans can still be upset about it. He'll laugh all the way to the bank into the NFL. And that's, I, I think, the world we're in now, where at least, you know, for as much as we all make it in so many other facets, a lot of college athletics where, you know, hey, welcome to the real world, all those things. There are going to be guys who leave or who leave, make poor decisions. We've already seen plenty of them. And there will be others who do just fine. And, you know, so many other places in life we apply, you know, welcome to the real world. You're either going to make sink or swim. That's going to be up to, to these guys. But you're right. I mean, the, the development angle, what you give up in moving in, in those relationships and having to rebuild the terminology, the systems, that's the stuff surely that in these guys' development is getting lost. I'd love to hear you know, whether it's NFL scouts or, or talent evaluators, what, what they're going to be seeing in three, four years when you're going to surely have really talented guys, guys with NFL builds, but who have played in three different offenses and never really got into anything. That's going to be really fascinating to me. Uh, to me, I think you're going to see probably the most efficiencies come from quarterbacks and offensive linemen, right? Those are the two positions that you got to stack days, right? you got to really stack days, stack knowledge, it's as mental of a game up front as it is as physical of a game. And a lot of people just think you got, you know, look at the big uglies out there pushing each other around. That's a delicate balance. It's a dance. It's a ballet, ballet, a ballet. You know, when I think of an inside zone and I've got, say it's a, a zone right and I've got a three technique on my outside eye, I'm going to take a six inch settle step with my right foot. I'm going to split his crotch with another six inch settle step with my left foot. I'm going to take my outside hand put it on that outside number. I'm going to take my inside hand, put it on the inside of the inside number. I'm going to stick my helmet on the right side of his helmet, and then I'm going to drive my right hand. It, that's It's a step-by-step game, right? And, to, and then at the same time, my tackle and my center are all doing the same thing. Big sweeping, open first step, just in case something changes in front of us. You got to do this all together. Like it is complicated, on the offensive line. And I think you're I don't think it's already a struggle in the NFL. I mean, think about right now in the NFL, Eli, how many good good offensive lines are there? Are there 10? I don't think there's 10. I don't 10. think so. No, I don't think there's 10 good right. offenses when guys are hurt like there are there's not 10 good quarterbacks in the league right now. Not healthy right. ones. You're turning on games on Sundays and to me the product is completely diminished. I agree 100%. It's chaos and I think a lot of it is, you know, what's happened with spread offenses in college football. You know, where this has gone over the last 10, 15 years, it's simplified the game to allow athletes to be great. But then they get to the next level where the game gets complicated and there's a disconnect, right? And now all of a sudden they go back to the drawing board mentally and then they start to struggle physically at the same time. I mean, it's a mess. It really is. You know, you went from 20 years ago, it was a guarantee that every offensive lineman that was playing Division One football knew how to do one thing well first, and that's run the football, right? We all knew how to put our hand in the dirt take power steps, and run the football. That's what made us 330-pound, 17-, 18-year-olds great. Now, 
You got kids coming out of high school, getting the Vision One scholarships at major universities that have never put their hand on the ground, that have played in a two-point stance their entire high school career. Centers that have never snapped the ball under center. They've done nothing but shotgun snap. There's guys going in the draft that have never taken a snap under center before, which is insane, right? These are all things that the NFL is still saying, this is how you win football games, right? This is how you succeed on this level. And we're just not getting the fundamentals anymore on the high school level. We're not getting the fundamentals in the college anymore. And it really is. I agree 100% with you. Outside of freak athletes, right, like, you know, the the kid from um, the Seahawks, Seahawks the uh, receiver. Oh, DK Metcalf. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, DK Metcalf. What, what is that? Like, he's not even like a normal human. You know what he's I mean? Made like, out of, the same thing they make bowling balls out of, that's DK Metcalf. He's made correct. out of the same material. Right. Like, we're getting, we're getting the best of the best in the league and we're seeing superstars shine because they have superstar bodies and they're making superstar plays. But as far as the game, you know, to me, it's starting to look a little bit more like the NBA, right? Relying on great athletes to make great plays. Well, and I think maybe at the next level, and I know we're here talking college football, but the next level, you wonder if a lot easier to be disposable nowadays to, for organizations to make guys disposable. You can find a guy you can run the way, well, can't find a lot of Tyreek Hills, but it seemingly you can find, you know, a gazillion running backs. You can find guys, if you simplify your offense enough and run a spread, which you're seeing plenty in the pros, you can put guys in. You can have a quarterback, you know, that, that everyone talks about is having a quarterback on a rookie deal and putting talent around him. Uh, if you can find someone like Brock Purdy who's productive at whatever you're making on a rookie salary, that's how you make the rest of your team better. And it seems to me that these organizations, which football, correct me if I'm wrong here, Sam, has always been a disposable game. Certainly at the NFL level, 100%. I think it's only gotten more and more that way, which is probably not great. You know, if you're a players' union rep, and, and maybe we're going to see to some degree the trickle down. We know the transfer portal is not all guys who are leaving on their own volition. Plenty of mutual parting of ways. Plenty of <clears throat> it'd be nice uh, if you could clean out your locker and you don't really have a place here anymore. Um, that seems to be trickling down too, and that gets into this whole thing. Are we talking about a business? We're we talking about college athletics anymore. Uh, and that's a whole other rabbit hole. I was talking to Brian Bosworth last week about player contracts. As Brent Venables and Mike Gundy about player contracts. They've got opinions that they're not too um, fast and loose with them. And, and there's probably some seeds of right in that. But shoot, second we start giving college athletes contracts, start swimming around that term employee. And that's, uh, again, a whole other can of worms. I feel like it probably needs... To me, the, the conversation needs to go from giving the kids a choice, right? Do you want to come to college and be a college athlete and or student athlete, or do you want to come play college football and be a semi-pro athlete? And I think there needs to be two different contracts, right, written for that. You can come in here and we can pay you a salary, right? Or you can come in here or and you can can go to school at the same time. And, and to be completely honest with you, when I look back at, you know, my years at Oklahoma state, if someone would have given me, given me the option to make a salary and focus on my trade a lot like Olympians do, right? I mean, Olympians, they're, they're spending four years at a time training for their event. It's day in, day out. They eat it, live it, sleep it, breathe it. That's all they're doing to be great, to be one of the world's greatest, I don't know that I wouldn't have turned down that opportunity, right? 
I, I, and and obviously my parents would have, you know, it would have been one of those manage your money things. And if it doesn't work out, then you go to school. But I knew, you know, by the time my first year of college was over with, there was a pretty good idea of what I was going to be capable of um, and moving forward as far as the NFL was concerned. And I ended up being one of the best players in the country. If it wasn't for injury, I would have been, you know, a long time NFL fat. So it just seems like, yeah, maybe that option is where we need to go with some of these student athletes to give them the ability to go ahead and choose school or choose the fast track to the NFL if you feel like that's something you can accomplish. And I think it would take a lot of stress off of, you know, so if you choose school, well, then you're choosing school and you're committed to, you know, three years type of thing, right? And if you choose the fast track, well, then you've got to sign up for, you know, first two years. And then after that, we'll see from there type of deal. But I just something needs to be done with uh, the initial focus once these kids get on campus. Like, what are your goals moving forward? And I think that would give the coaches the ability to tend to their flock a little bit better, right? Have an idea who's here for what. Um, you know, make decisions smartly based off of person, you know, personnel that they know they have for a certain length of time. I think it would probably be a little like coaches at ease also. But and I think it would just kind of settle things down a little bit. What do you think? Could it coexist within the same program? Because I think. That's the question. Could you have a program of guys? Could Oklahoma, let's say in this hypothetical, have 35 guys on the roster on the fast track who are not doing school or getting a salary on a roster or the rest of them? Could that, could that work? I don't know. And it's, you know, this isn't that far off from the whole thing, the proposal from Charlie Baker, the NCAA president a few weeks ago, right? Of, of a basically a new subdivision of schools who could pay their, who could opt in to pay their student athletes. I think it was a minimum of $30,000 in, in these trusts, whatever that at least made sense on paper as, you know, if you're Michigan, uh, or, and you are Rutgers, let's say, I don't think Rutgers is a school. Once you're in the big 10 pot, you're not going to pull out of that pot, but you know, some of these FBS schools might just say, look, we're not making enough money on football. This isn't us. We're a basketball school that has a football team. We're going to back out that, I think probably opens up a whole world of problems, but at the very least there, you would have the teams that are going to treat this like pro football and you could probably guess who'd be at the top there and the teams that aren't. And that could make sense. Could you do it within a program? Could you have 40 guys on your roster living one way and operating one way and presumably fair or not getting treated one way compared to the guys who are on scholarship and there for school and I'm sure you'll have some great stories. The new walk-on story will just be the guy who also goes to class. Right. How about that? That's not, I think, that I feels think far away that, from Tom Osborne's co- uh, college football. Yeah, I, I think the guy that chooses school is a kid that has a, a built, the mental capability to handle the rest of it. Mm. You know what I mean? I think that that, that kid that shows up says, hey, I, I know that it's a blessing that I received this opportunity you know, I don't know that the NFL is in my future, but I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity to go Certainly. ahead and get college taken care of. I think that kid's mindset, that mentality going into it is a little bit different. You know, I think the kids that you would be concerned about, the kids that are the problem right now are the ones that believe they're fast track athletes that aren't, mm. right? The guys that think they deserve uh, big money and then they don't get it or big opportunities and they don't get it or they're upset with playing time. Like one of the biggest conversations in collegiate sports right now that, that I just cannot stand is when uh, players say coach doesn't like me. So I didn't play. I'm like, what? I'm like, do you know how much money that dude is making to win football games? If you were the best option, he would be playing you whether he liked you or not. 
And if there's a coach in college athletics that's out there doing that right now, not playing the best players because of some sort of, you know, miscommunication or you don't like the kind of of practice player he is or whatever, then you're in the wrong business, right? And I think there's probably some of those guys in the last 20 years that were like that, right? Out of one of those principal deals, but you better get yourself down in the dirt in the grime and find out who the best players are because you'll be out. You don't, there's no longer, Oh, you have six years to figure it out. You got two and then they'll fire you. Like, I just can't imagine that there's a whole lot of coaches out there. that don't, don't understand that these days. If there's a coach like Billy Napier or one of these coaches is careening towards the hot seat and they are out there playing guys based on who they like and whose parents either do or don't blow up their phones talking about playing time and who's, they won't be there that long. Um, that's flat. You're, you're spot on. And if it was ever something you could get away with, and there, you're right, there was a time, I guess, where you were getting five, six, seven years to build a program, and we'd find out seven years in that a coach couldn't build a program. That's off the table. At the biggest programs in the country, people are not lasting. And so, yeah, that, that whole thing's a sham. I do think that, you know, the idea of you, you hear this a lot as sort of a, boogeyman in NIL, but I think it, it does show up places. And I think if you asked around, you'd hear it is, you know, locker rooms getting divided over NIL. Um, but I think, again, that's probably to your point, more on that one guy in the locker room who thinks he is a right. five star. Why am I not, you know, carrying 30 times a game? And usually that guy's the dude who shouldn't be getting carries at all. He's fourth in the depth chart. Um, but I, I do think that that's a, such an interesting question to me because I think it's somewhat diminishing on these young men. We consider them men. I know at 18, there's a big difference between 18 and shoot, there's 25 year olds still playing college football, but I'd, right. I'd like to think, you know, on the whole that there are guys that, that these locker rooms can withstand. And, you know, if you're at Alabama and you're watching a guy, Bryce Young, get a million bucks, sorry about the quarterback at Alabama, but um, perhaps the issues are not the quote unquote, good guys in your program, uh, the good soldiers who are getting upset over NIL, it probably more likely is a very vocal minority, a couple of guys who think they deserve what everyone else is getting and, and simply aren't. I'm interested to think, hear what you think about coaches and how their lives have changed in a short amount of time. And do you feel like it's been an, how, I feel like it's been a pretty difficult adjustment for some. Right. I feel like there were some that fought it early. I think there's some that jumped in it with both feet and they've tended to navigate these waters a little more successfully these days. But I don't have any sympathy for them at all, considering the ignorant amount of money that some of these guys make to coach kids in a kid's game. And now you have to just spend a little more time tending to your flock. Right. Making sure these kids are doing OK. You know, like 20 years ago, dude, let me tell you something like we there was a article written about Oklahoma State. This is probably about 2011 called The Dirty Game. I don't know mm -hmm. if you know anything about yep, this, yep, but yep. it was just a, it was a joke of an article that majority of it just wasn't true. But there was a lot of former players that were quoted in this. And so I spent days on the radio calling up my teammates and getting them on air to dispute some of the things that were said. But the names in that article were players that had bad experiences, players that were ignored by coaches, players that were disrespected by coaches, players that you know were hurt and then were ignored, players that just weren't treated well. And there was a ton of those guys. Like I'm, I my time at Oklahoma State, I loved every second of it. 
right? I was treated like a king. I had everything that I needed. I was successful on and off the field. I had all the tools that were needed to, to be great. They handed me all those things, right? Because I was a good, a good player. So the kids that had a harder time, though, it wasn't great for them, you know? And I feel like now these coaches have to tend to those kids and make sure that they're having a good college experience and give them more opportunities because they'll just bail. And, and there's going to be a percentage of those kids that you want to diss, right, those, or ignore that are going to end up being pretty good players. They're going to be the, end up being the backbone. Like, you're only as good as your weakest link. That's a real thing. You know what I mean? And I feel like now those those bottom-tier guys are at least getting a little more respected because they've got to make sure their houses are in order. I think so. I'm with you. I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for college football coaches. If anyone I feel bad for, it's got to be – like a Kirk Ferentz or uh, just someone who has been in this game and had to, he's in a completely different world than he started in. Right. Uh, and I, I say that mostly joking. I don't have a lot of sympathy for Kirk Ferentz in general, but you know, just like that dude coached college football at a very different time. And if he were to just step aside and say like, this is not even the game I used to coach. I'd actually respect that. I'm not, he's just an example. I, I think, you know, I was just fine except for their offense. But you look around and like the, the ground has changed completely under these coaches. And I think, as you said before, the ones who just said, to some degree, I'm being paid uh, $7 million a year, I'm going to figure this out, which you, you know, a lot of us in our jobs, we have to adjust and figure things out. Um, there were others who were slower to adapt and there's some who didn't adapt at all. But as we've seen, you can't fight change. I mean, if anybody was fighting it, it was Mike Gundy at the start. And he's even come around on things. And I, I think. You know, he's always been a deep thinker about this world of college football. Sometimes he's on the nose. Sometimes he's not. Um, he probably started out uh, maybe saying, the, you know, he might have been on the right side of things, but clearly he wasn't on the side of, of where things were going initially. But he's figured it out. And, and it seems like in Stillwater, I and mean, shoot, if they get through this offseason and Ollie Gordon is still in Stillwater, that's a testament to some kind of change, uh, whether it's, you know, simply resistance from the top guy or, or organization beneath them. But um, I guess I've sort of gotten off on a tangent, but it, it's just, it's a completely different world. But for those who can't adapt to it and, and to do things like you're talking about, tending to your flock, making sure your guys are there, that's, it seems harsh move and negligent. If you're not, if you're not, um, you know, getting into the portal, would you call what Dabo Swinney did this past year negligent? You could. Yeah. I think, I, I mean, making $11 million and, and he made sure that everyone knew how much he made. Um, and Tyler from Spartanburg, the guy who called in, uh, made sure everyone knew how much he made. But if you're not hitting the portal, that to me, that's, you know, it's like being in an, an NBA franchise and just saying, no, nah, we don't do free agency here. We, uh, oh, yeah, dude, we only build through offense. trades. Yeah. Um, it, is. it is a fireball offense, 100%. And so these programs have to figure that out. If, if, if anyone in five years' time, there's no way Dabo will. Well, I can't say this for sure, but I don't think he'll be coaching college football at Clemson, at least. If in five years he's added three more guys in the portal, either he's going to have to embrace that, which I'm guessing is the direction they're going to go, or something's going to have to change because the patience won't be there. Uh, the dollars to pay a coach that way will not be there. Uh, th that's got to change. These coaches who are, are resisting um, are simply resisting the inevitable. You know, the, the crazy thing, and I know you've got a busy day ahead of you tomorrow, but the, uh, I'll let you go here in a second. But the, the crazy thing about it for me is how fragile all of a sudden every team 
in college football is, right? You think of the rise of Clemson over the last uh, 20 years, 15 years, and you know a lot of people would say they're, they're college football royalty along with the Ohio States and Michigans and you know Texas's and Oklahoma's of the world. I don't know that I would put them there uh, quite yet. I'm a little old, <laughs> old and old school, but um, you know I, I think that you know you're in a position now where either you're gonna sink quickly or you're gonna swim. I don't think that your brand is nearly. I think Oklahoma's finding this out just a little bit. You know I think that there's some of these blue blood teams that you know Michigan is the is Harbaugh gets it a hundred percent. Uh, 100% and he's got a, a checkbook in front of him to do whatever he wants to do. And that's why Michigan's going to stay successful. You know, I think Ohio State, Oklahoma um, are in the same type of boat. You know, Ohio State's sending out letters. My parents live in Ohio now. My, uh, my dad's telling me Ohio State's sending out letters to people asking for NIL support. You know, type of like, do your, do your duty to the Buckeyes. Like, do it for the brand type of thing. And it's like, man, y'all got to get a different mindset. Like I get it. You're Ohio state. I get it. You're the Oklahoma Sooners, but you know, to an 18 year old kid, that brand doesn't mean nearly as much as it did to me 20 years ago. I went to Oklahoma state because of OU. I went to Oklahoma state because of Texas and Nebraska and because of the A&M and the wrecking crew and the great stadiums that I was going to play. And it was the only big 12 school that offered me. That's why I went to Oklahoma state. It had nothing to do with Oklahoma state. But I went there to play against those iconic brands. And now these kids, I don't even know that they know, you know, outside of Alabama or Clemson. You know, I see kids now. My daughter was on a FaceTime call with some boy the other day that had a Clemson flag in the background. I'm like, <laughs> you don't even know where that school is at. Bro. Like, you don't even know what town that place is in. But you got a Clemson flying, flag flying back there. You know what I mean? Like, it is a, it's just a different world. And I feel like these 18-year-old kids, just their, their mindset has changes. You can't, you know, talking about what you did. 50 years ago is, doesn't give you anything anymore. They want to know what you did two years ago, right? What did you do last year? What did you do last month? When's the last 10 players you put into the league? If you tell them, you know, here's 10 guys in the last 10 years looking at you like you're crazy. I want to know 10 mm -hmm. guys in the last 10 months. You know, I mean, it is just a way different mindset than the way you have to go about this. Well, I think it lends itself to like quick builds and quick teardowns or getting torn down because you look, my alma mater is the University of Missouri. I spent all my time there covering the team, so I'm not a fan. But goodness, uh, an NIL law that's really helpful and a coach who looks dorkier than me but has some ability to recruit and to, to get guys on campus. And you look at Missouri, would have been a playoff team this year in a 12 team. Uh, they, you know, would, I think based on the team they've, they're putting together for next year, they'll be a team people look at as a playoff contender. And they're doing it with Luther Burden, a former OU commit. Williams Winery, a guy they swipe from OU, and Caden Green. Like that, I mean, that's, I think you're going to see more of that, that brands, to your point, don't matter, or at least the longevity of them don't matter the same way. I mean, it's amazing. Obviously, there's all the family ties, but uh, Nebraska getting to poach a, the number one quarterback in the country, take away the family ties there. What is Nebraska calling up, you know, the 80s and 90s and, and showing that to 18-year-olds now? I mean, right. that's... And and that's actually to their credit what they appear to be restoring. And Matt Rule is the right guy to go do that. I think he's built for this era. Um is to build 100%. to build a new image for Nebraska, which fifteen, twenty years ago that would have been blasphemous if you were saying that Nebraska needed to like reimagine the whole thing. But um you've either got to have someone who can do that, and at this point Nebraska is a rebuild. Obviously it's a massive school, incredible resources. To me, like it's it's one of those schools you go see a game there and you realize why they should never fail because of how committed that fan base is. But 
they needed it. And you can either have someone who's going to sink that ship and get picked off. And there will, I think there will be carcasses of, of former, you know, big brand programs at some point. But by the same token, you can rebuild really fast now. You just got to have the right people in place, the right organization in place. Eli, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate yeah, you tonight. No, we'll do yeah, it more. You nailed it. We're going we're gonna to have to do this again here in a, in a couple of weeks, maybe before the uh, culture ball playoff weekend. Ooh, I like that. And uh, shoot, we'll see if we can get you on the Letterman jacket one of these days. I'm in. I'm in, my friend. Thank you so much. Love it. Of course. Have a great night.